0: Hello, I'm T.S. Wright, and welcome to The God-Centered Concept. Episode 1, The Owner. As we embark on this journey together, let's dive into the main focus of this podcast series. Who is the owner? Who is the real owner? Well, before we answer this question, let's look at the foundational source we are going to focus on to answer this question and where the primary information will come from. The Bible was our foundational book, also known as the Word of God, and this is going to be the book that we use for the entire series. So the natural question or the natural really place to start is, what is the Bible? Over the years, I've heard the Bible explained in many ways. The Bible is this, and the Bible is that. I am sure all of us have made an attempt to explain it ourselves, or at least heard it explained in many ways. However, I would like for you to at least humor me for the moment with an explanation that I'm going to give that will also set the tone for this entire podcast series. So here it is, and bear with me for a moment. The Bible is God's voice through the written word claiming ownership and authority over his creation let me repeat that the bible is god's voice through the written word claiming ownership and authority over his creation so if we take a look in genesis 1 where moses is writing about the creation of the heavens and the earth the very first verse starts with just that and it basically moses is writing that god created the heavens and the earth so already. God is already being established as the total creator, which automatically is assumed that He is the owner. He continues by stating how God would speak, and then create. His voice was claiming His ownership, authority, and will over His crea- all of His creation, and this goes from Genesis one all the way through Revelation twenty-two. Whether directly or indirectly, God is always establishing that He is the owner and that he gets all the privileges that come with that ownership so let's dive into what that looks like so now as we've established god as the owner what are the privileges and responsibilities of ownership well number one decision making power god gets to make all the decisions he has the power to make all final decisions just like any owner of a company um, the head of any monarchy he gets to make those decisions so the first thing that we're going to look at is him setting the agenda and some examples of how he sets that agenda so just for example if we dive into leviticus chapter 23 we see how god Sets the agenda by defining when the Israelites would have their feasts. God would decide the purpose and the when in which these feasts would take place, and really what these feasts were all about. So if you read all of Leviticus, you will see this same theme playing out, and you get a sense of how the nation of Israel was supposed to function according to God's agenda. All of Leviticus really rolls out. A lot of God's plan for that nation. The book of Deuteronomy, you could also throw this into this particular place because it's really where Moses is giving the preparation before they cross over into the Jordan, again, reminding the Israelites of a lot of different aspects of their particular society and how that's going to look when they cross the Jordan. So, Leviticus 23, again, talking about those feasts, but these books, God is setting the agenda so that the Israelites are prepared when they cross over the Jordan. So, the second reading that we're going to look at is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. When Jesus appears to Paul, and he is converted on the road to Damascus, there is something going on here and really what's happening is that jesus is setting the agenda for the future of the church because here's what's happened if you keep reading you will see how jesus sets this course of paul's life and again this is just another example of how god is using his power to set the agenda of what would happen because what happens in acts chapter 9 is going to set in motion And it's going to set the agenda not only for paul's life but how the church would spread across the entire mediterranean paul more than anybody else will spread the word of god in a way that is beyond imagination it is going to be beyond probably even his imagination for him to understand how it is impacted today then would have probably blown his mind but god was setting an agenda To make that happen, and he was doing it through Paul. And again, he has every right to do that because he has the decision-making power, and he is the owner. Understand this: that Paul would suffer many things, and through this process, God's agenda would be carried out. All right. So the second thing we're going to do is we, as we've moved forward from setting the agenda, is God will also create, claim, and then set things in motion according to his will. So if we read Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world by his spoken word. God says and the creation comes about and then it is completed which is signaled by the claim that this is a day. For example in Genesis 1 chapters or excuse me chapter one verses three through five, God says, let there be light then the light appears. And then he separates the light and the darkness and claims the light is day and the darkness is night. And then in the finale of this particular passage here, to finalize it, it is evening, then morning, the first day. So here's what God has done. He has literally created how a day is defined. The power of his spoken word and then forming it according to his will, then naming it. Because God is the owner. He gets that privilege. He also decides when everything is created later in Genesis 1. And basically, each day is characterized by what is created during that time. So if we read the entire chapter, we see how that unfolds. The second reading we're going to dive into here is for God creating and claiming and then setting something into motion. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Jesus is asking the disciples about who they say he is. Now, eventually, Peter answers Jesus that he believes he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says, through a reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus claims that God has appointed him and revealed to Peter that Jesus is indeed the son of God And then Jesus takes it a step further and claims his church. Literally like it's his possession, because it is. If that isn't enough, he then claims how it will overpower Hades. Jesus is creating his church just how God had instructed him to, through his disciples, starting with Peter, and claiming how the power of the church, or the power of God, will be with the church and setting it in motion, which will be done as we will see through the entire book of Acts. So again, we have that that whole theme playing out, create, claim, and then set in motion. And Jesus is doing that right here in this passage. So the third aspect here, or right or privilege of having ownership, is the right to discipline subordinates. That means people who report to you, people you're in charge of, people you have charge over. Well, in this first reading, Numbers chapter 27, verse 12 through 14, we can also see that reflected in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 through 28, Moses was disciplined because of his failure at the waters of Meribah. So Moses would not be allowed to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. Even God's handpicked prophet, who Moses was, that led the entire nation of Israel out of slavery, that they had been in bondage for over four hundred years, and through the wilderness, was being disciplined by God because of this one act, this one defiant act that, or God at least looked at it in that in that regard. But guess what? God had the right to put that level of discipline on Moses. Moses was only allowed to see the Holy Land from up above and at a little bit of a distance, but he was not allowed to cross the Jordan because he was being disciplined by God. If we read Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, that's this is also the same parable that's reflected in Mark 12, verses 1 through 12, and Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. This is the parable Of the wicked tenants. Jesus explains how the owner sends his servants and finally his son to collect the fruit from his vineyard. However, the tenants torture the servants and eventually the owner sends his son and they kill the son. And then looking at them, Jesus asked them, What will the owner do to the tenants? They said that he will get rid of those wretched tenants and get other tenants that will actually give him the share of the fruit during the harvest. Now, the Pharisees are who God is speaking about, and they knew it. So as Jesus is speaking here, God is disciplining them through Jesus. And unfortunately for them, they would not listen and instead eventually plotted to have Jesus killed, as we already know, because they defied God they would eventually lose everything when the Romans destroyed the second temple and they had to flee Jerusalem. Again, God has the right to discipline as he sees fit, and he disciplines the nation of Israel. Now, there's a lot more to that and why that happened, but I will tell you that if you go back and you look at the first five books, also known as the Torah, and how God set up the nation of Israel, and then you look at what it looked like when Jesus was there, it was not anything close to the same. And it was certainly not being done with the same intent and the heart with which God wanted them to serve with and to be the beacon of light to the world. Instead, it was more like they were going to show the world. And that is not what God's intention was. It was not to be done out of pride like we have this special position because we're God's chosen people. Instead, they were to be a beacon of light for everybody in the world to come and worship God in their la- in the land that he gave them. At the end of that, and if you scale it all down, it's still all about God and because he is the owner, he's the creator, and he has the right to decide. Number four, let's move on to the next one. The right to organize and delegate. When we read Genesis 2, this is all about how God organizes and delegates. We see how He organizes the rivers and the garden, then places Adam to cultivate it. He instructs Adam on what He is to do and not to do. He then delegates His authority to Adam in trying to bring Him a suitable helper. He finally creates Eve for Adam, so He now has a suitable helper. God structures He organized and he delegates. And we see this play out in Genesis 2. If we jump into the New Testament, over to the Gospels again, Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, or Mark also reflects this in chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. This is Jesus organizing and delegating the Great Commission to the disciples. He claims authority. Then he tells them what to do, and then he delegates it to them go and baptize all nations. He, he gives them that authority. So a side note here is the reality is, is this is what the church is supposed to be. It is a movement. It is not a building, a brand, a location, or an institution. And the Great Commission really sets the foundation that the church is a movement and not these other things. So sometimes there's been times in history where I believe that the church has gotten itself into problems and troubles Because we've added too much of the human element to it with rules, regulations, brand, buildings, location, and institutionalization, versus remembering that this is indeed a movement. All right, number five, God gets all the glory, the honor, and rewards because, again, He is the owner. So if we read Psalm 115 and Psalm 135, and they reflect each other pretty well god gets all the glory in these chapters he is the only one who deserves glory and praise he gets it all because he is the owner and creator he and he alone gets that level of respect if we go to revelation chapter 4 verses 9-11 to god gets all the glory honor and power he alone is worthy even the 24 elders throw their crowns down before the throne god is the owner and gets everything in colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 the son of god jesus christ is given the supremacy over all creation and paul is claiming how jesus is the head of the church and reconciles all things to himself jesus and jesus alone does this and he alone deserves all the respect because god has given his son ownership over all creation so he gets a supremacy so if god is the owner and he has all these rights and privileges then why do we live like we own this life almost like we are a god or have god privileges well these are just some of the questions that we're going to need to answer in future episodes My challenge to you right now, though, is to read some of these additional Bible passages and see how God owns us and all of his creation. I will give you a few here. However, I challenge you to go above and beyond and look for more. Now, you probably have your own Bible apps and stuff, and that's great. Um, Using your own different translations and and those things. I, I like to use Bible Hub. That's the one I use. I go to their search bar when I want topics and stuff, and and so I'll give those guys a big plug here. However, here are the Bible verses that I'm going to share with you that you can look up and read, and really try to work through and find how God owns us. And most of it's pretty self-explanatory, and you'll see it right away. However, I also challenge you to find some on your own, and that are not, that I'm not listing here. I also challenge you to go back and read the verses and the passages that I have spoken earlier here in this podcast, in this particular episode. So the first uh, Bible passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. And I encourage you to read the whole passage, but you will definitely get a sense of ownership there. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 14 verses 17 through 22 Psalm chapter 110 The Gospel of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 Again the Gospel of John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18 and Psalm 84 verses 1 through 12 Philippians chapter 2 Verses five through eleven, and Revelation chapter two, verse one. So these are a few. Obviously, there is many of them in the Word of God, and I challenge you to find some of your own. And you might even find some that are kind of your favorites, and that's great. I ask you to write. I'm just telling you to write those down, journal them, meditate on them, and really see how God owns us. So now that we have a firmly that we have firmly established who the owner is and what privileges and rights God actually has because he is the owner. The next step is to do something with this knowledge, because if he's the owner and we are not, then that may mean we need to look at some things a little bit differently than how we do. So before we take any other action, we first need to look at what influences us. And that might actually help us to understand what keeps us from fully giving all of our authority and trust of our lives over to God. So in the next episode, we're going to look at a topic called the cultures. We're going to look at what type of a culture we do live in. Where did this culture come from? How does it impact the way we view life? And does it align with the way God wants us to see the world? Until next time, go forth in total surrender to the one who owns and reigns over all creation.